So there's like three things that kind of hinder, I would say, our pursuit of truth in life, right? There are three things that hinder it. One of them is just us. We hinder the pursuit of truth in our lives because so often we believe and we narrate our lives like kind of centered on us, like we're the center of the world and everything revolves around us. So we're either a victim to things in some way or it's just that the only way we can be happy is if we have everything ordered the way we want it to be ordered, right? So often we become the block to truth in our life and to understanding. The other one is, and we all do this, is that we go to other people to tell us who we are. So other people become the block to what is true in that it's kind of like one of those circus things or you know, when you go to the fair and you go in the mirror room and all the mirrors are warped and so you look in the mirror and that's not an actual reflection of yourself. Um, well, so often we go to other people asking really, who am I? Am I okay? Like, tell me who I am, right? We go to our kids to do this. We go to our spouses, to our friends, the people we work with. We ask that question. And so often what they tell us about ourselves is that we looked relatively warped, right? They do not give us an accurate understanding of who we are and yet we sort of desperately want that and that blocks our understanding of things um the third one is is really is our relationship with god i would say probably all of us fall on one side or the other one is that we with god think that there's a set of things that we need to do for him to bless us and so we're working so hard to get it right Right? We just, if we would get it right, if we would do the right things, if we would say the right words, if we act the right way, then God will bless us. Right? Some of us believe that straight out and we'll tell you that. Some of us, that's just sort of our secret belief, right? Is that the others of us, you know, we're, we're angry at God because he seems to have a bunch of rules that link to being blessed. And so we're like, I don't believe you exist, or I believe you're just sort of, you know, some force or entity, and I just don't care about you. And so we're really angry at God, or we're kind of angry at whatever God is, because we're not getting the blessing we want, because there's a set of rules that we refuse to follow. And these three things tend to block truth in our life, the pursuit of truth, the pursuit of understanding, the pursuit of goodness. So we, as the center, others telling us who we are, and kind of our convoluted relationship with God. Um, and so we're in this series, we're starting a brand new series in Galatians, and this is Paul's concern in Galatians. Okay, is He's concerned about how people are pursuing truth and what they're understanding and believing to be true. Now, a lot of people say that Galatians is um, one of Paul's more fiery books and it is but just so i want to practice a little bit here so that we can get a few things down number one when paul writes the galatians he's writing to the region of galatia and that is in southern turkey so when i say where is galatia you would say that's right galatia is all right that's very good so when he's writing this letter, the background to this letter is found in Acts chapter 13 and 14. These are where the background information for Galatians. That's where you're going to find out where the meat and potatoes of this letter is, where he started the churches that he's writing to. So 
Where are you going to find the meat and potatoes about Galatians? In what? Very good. Okay. So, did somebody say 17? <laughs> somebody said turkey. Okay. And mashed potatoes. But anyway, okay. So, where is Galatia? Where's the background information found? All right, we got one more, and that is the whole essence of Galatians, the thing that he's really shooting at, is this word, the gospel. He really wants the Galatians to know what the gospel is. Now, the gospel means two things. It means the good news, or it means the victories, right? So if you were to say the gospel of Eric, then you would be saying the good news and victories of Eric. But we don't say that. You don't come in when you see somebody and just say, hey, I want to tell you about the gospel of Eric. Right? You don't, you don't say that. The gospel now is just synonymous with Jesus. When you say gospel, it means the good news or victories about Jesus. So, when we say gospel, what does it mean? The good news or victories of Jesus. Okay. All right. So let's try this one more time. So, where's Galatia? All right. Where do we find the background information? What's the gospel? All right, very good, <laughs> very good. So Paul is really, really passionate in this letter. He's really, really passionate. But to understand that, maybe I need to, to just to understand his passion, I need to tell you a story about me, because the world revolves around me, since I'm the preacher. See, that's one of my problems. Um, but anyway, when between second grade and the fifth grade, I lived in Miami, Arizona, and a lot of you know that. But between that time, I spent a long time, or a lot of time with my friends building forts, okay? Because my house was kind of up against this just huge expanse of land that had gullies and hills. And so we would build lots of forts. In fact, we, there were a lot, it was a new development, so we would steal like bricks from the de- development, one at a time, and call them back until we got caught, and then we'd have to put them all back. But we would build these forts, and we put a lot of time into these forts, and then the bullies in our little neighborhood would come wreck the forts, right? And so we would spend lots of times trying to hide these forts. We would dig holes, and then we would put like little weeds over them and dirt so people could fall in them. We made little traps where we would pull back the branch with trip wires, right? Because we didn't want them to mess up our forts, and we tried to hide them. Now, there were two groups of bullies. There was the group of bullies that were not on dirt bikes and the group that was, and the group that was on dirt bikes, they could get around. So they were always wrecking our forts. They were finding them and they were wrecking them. I don't know why. But I spent a long time building these. And I put a lot of energy into them. You don't know what it's like for a second grader to carry one of those big bricks from a construction site all the way out. And that's a lot of work. So anyway, um, they would wreck them. And we would get so upset. So what we would start doing, we'd fashion our spears. We'd make our little arrows, you know. We would cut out cardboard and glue the little feathers onto the end of our arrows. We would get our dirt clods ready. But the most passionate thing we would do is we would get these flat pieces of wood and put tacks in them and stick them on the places where the dirt bike people are. That was the, you know, and so they would run over them, but they weren't enough for them to pop and for them to like, you know, spin out. They would just put holes in their tires and eventually they'd have flats, right? So, but, but to do something like that, you have to be really upset that somebody did something to the thing that's valuable to you, right? You're, you're going to go do something stupid, right? Something to get you to the place of that much passion, that much emotion. 
is when you have put your energy and time into something. Well, that's where Paul is when he writes Galatians. And so I want to tell you, read a story to you out of Acts chapter 14. And you don't need to turn there. More importantly, I would just like you to close your eyes and listen to this story about Paul. Now, he's, it's about a city called Lystra. It's not, this isn't the only city that he's writing Galatians to. This is just one of them. But it gives you a sense of maybe why he's so passionate about things. So, starting in verse 8 of Acts 14. In Lystra, there sat a man crippled in his feet, who was lame from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lysonian language, The gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and wreaths to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out in the crowd shouting, Men, why are you doing this? We too are only men, human like you. We are bringing you good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made heaven and earth and sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their season. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your heart with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Verse 19. <laughs> then some Jews came from Antioch, and this is a little up here, like Lystra's down here, Antioch's up here, and Iconium, and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered round him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. Okay, this is a serious story. <laughs> Just have to take a moment. It starts with God, with Paul healing somebody who's crippled. That's pretty amazing. Then all of a sudden he gets called Hermes and they want to sacrifice to him. And then they're already, then they're stoning him, right? So the, this crowd, the people, at least in, in um, this city, are kind of fickle. But it's interesting that Paul gets stoned and they think he's dead and they throw him outside and then the disciples kind of huddle around him. I'm assuming they're praying for him. And then he literally gets up and walks back into the town and leaves the next day. He takes one day of rest after stoning to death. That's kind of Paul's thing. <laughs> so just from that scene, you know that Paul is serious about the church that he has planted. And he has some issues with people who begin to distort things that he's taught these people because he was stoned to death for them. Right, he he's very serious about this. So we're going to jump into Galatians. So if you have a black Bible, I believe now the problem is not all the black Bibles have the same page numbers, but I believe it's on twelve nineteen. 
So if you want to grab a black Bible to follow along, we're going to look at the first um, 10 verses of Galatians. So it begins this way. Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man. Okay, so apostle means to be sent. In particular, to be sent by God. Now, what Paul wants to make sure that they understand is that he is not sent by the men up in Jerusalem. Like, they're not the ones who are saying, okay, Paul is okay, he's a good guy, you should listen to him. What he's saying is, they have nothing to do with it. Like, the person who sent me is much more important than them. And he says, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father. Right? So whatever Paul has to say right now, he's saying, I have, like, it doesn't come from men, it comes from God. Okay? Which is pretty crazy. He's saying, what I have to say is not Paul's words, but God's words. And then he says this. So he says, God the Father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers with me. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So, here's Paul's issue. Paul's issue is is that these people are swayed very easily. And what they're swayed on is the gospel. Okay, We're going to get a little bit of those details. But what he's going to do is he's going to launch in and say, this is what the gospel is. Here it is the basis of it. I'm going to just start out with that. And so this is what he says. He says there's a couple things in here that, that he lists out. So the first one, we're going to kind of work our way backwards. But verse 3, it says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age. So the first linchpin of the gospel is that Jesus gave himself for our sin to rescue us from this present evil age. Okay? So let's just talk about sin. Like, we've talked enough about sin being the word meaning missing the mark that I have seen a number of kids' little illustrations with little bow and arrow targets and their arrows missing, right? Because it's an archery term. Missing the mark. Sin means you missed the mark. Here's the thing. All of you are here tonight. I'm pretty sure that you believe that you've missed the mark some way. None of you, I think, would, could stand up or would be willing to stand up and say, I am not a sinner. I haven't missed the mark. Because I know all of you have lied. I know all of you are liars, right? All of you have chosen to speak mean in mean ways to at least one person in your life, right? I'm pretty sure. Many of you in your mind have murdered people. Uh, you've been angry. I could go on and on. You all know that you're sinners, right? Now, you may not think that matters, but you know that. You know that you, and what I think most of you know, and I think if we sat down and we really were honest with each other, we know that there's no way to make up for our sin. And I think this is really key. Like, when I say something mean to my kid or my wife, I can apologize, but it doesn't undo the words, because the words have force, right? And they 
impact. And so we all know that there's no way to kind of fix things. right? We can't fix them. But the linchpin to the gospel is, is that the God of the universe sent his son Jesus for our sins. He lived out a life where he didn't miss the mark, and he died a death that you and I can't die for our sins. Okay? So what Paul is saying, this is the key. And, and in what it, it's the key over everything is that it's actually not about you. It's about Jesus and what he's doing for your sin. But there's another little line in here, and it's not one that we talk a lot about, and that is that it's to, the second part is it's to rescue you from this evil age. Right? I don't think about this a lot, but if you go back to the three problems I talked about, number one, if you narrate, if you live in a world where everyone narrates their life where it's about them, and where everyone is going around trying to get everyone else to tell them who they are, and everyone else is mad at God, like if that's the world we live in, it's really messy. It's an evil age, right? It's, there isn't any good in that. And so the second part is that Jesus has come not just to die for our sins, but to rescue us out of a self-centered kind of lifestyle and into a relationship with God. So Paul wants to lay that out very clearly. The third thing he says is in verse 2, which is that God raised Jesus from the dead. So these are the three parts of the gospel that you need to hold on to. This is at the core what matters. Number one, Jesus came to die for your sin and rescue you from this evil age. And that that God raised him from the dead. This is the key that everything is going to rest on. Right? Now, Paul's like laying it out. Like, remember, this is what I told you, Galatia. Verse 6, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So what he's saying is, why, why have you turned away? Why have you moved away from the grace of Christ? So what is grace? Well, if you learn church for very long, you'll hear that grace is unmerited favor, right? So what he's saying is Jesus came and died for us. We didn't deserve that or there's no reason like by what we've done to bring him here, right? The favor of Christ rescuing us is what grace is. But to understand that, let me just tell you a story. I think that kind of illustrate all of that. It's very important. A few weeks ago, my wife lost her mother, and I was sitting at the little memorial dinner with my dad, and I was telling him that I needed to replace my dishwasher. And my dad says, oh, well, I know a guy who has a dishwasher, and he hasn't, it's brand new. I'll get it for you. I'm like, oh, that sounds great. Free dishwasher. And I said, well, that's really wonderful, because now I can buy a new washing machine, because just as a PA, uh, like you know, like a PA or whatever, a public service announcement, a PSA, uh, never buy a washing machine that has any kind of electronics built into it. <laughs> never buy a washing machine that doesn't have an agitator in the middle, okay? Because when you have to replace the drum and you replace the ball bearings, like you have to buy them at one set. You can't just buy separate parts, no matter how hard you try. And so that costs as much as a normal washing machine. And so my dad's like, 
He, he heard me say that. And then a couple of days later, he calls me. He's like, I have a washing machine for you. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I thought, I can, I can pay for it. He's like, no, nah, I'm, I'm going to bring it on over. So he has a guy deliver a washing machine and gets a dishwasher, right? Now, that's, there's no real reason for me to get a dishwasher and a washing machine for free from my dad. Like, yes, I'm his son, but still, I know he does it for other people. It's an unmerited favor, okay? Now, that's the gospel. Think of the gospel as a dishwasher and a washer, and they're delivered to my back porch. I have to do something with them. I have to pull out the old dishwasher, and I have to pull out the old washing machine, and I have to install the new dishwasher, and I have to install the new washing machine. I have to do something, right? Now, what Paul opens up here, he says earlier, he says grace and peace, right? Because these are the two keys to the gospel. When you believe the gospel, you're given grace and peace, right? Grace leads to peace, so you're given peace. He's saying, why have you walked away from the dishwasher and the washer in your back porch? Why will you not install them, right? Why? I don't understand. I've spent all this time getting you a dishwasher and a washing machine. So I have a choice. If people came and they saw the dishwasher, they might say, well, that's a white dishwasher, and you have black and silver appliances. Why would you put that in your house? That's silly. Or they might look at the, at the washing machine and say, well, it's cool that it's white so it matches your dryer, but it's mechanical. Like, why would you get a mechanical one? And so I could sit there with a bunch of anxiety about like, well, should I accept these gifts? What am I committing to with these gifts if I bring them in my house? Like, is this, what are people going to say about my white dishwasher? Right? So I think I'm going to leave them on the back porch. This is what Paul's upset about. He's like, I cannot believe you're leaving these on the back porch. They work. They wash your clothes and your dishes. They free you from things. They give you peace. Everybody in your house is happy, right? That, because I don't know how you've been at our house when the washing machine was on, but it would go, and the whole house was like shaking, okay? So, so this is going to bring peace. But now think about this is what Paul is saying, though. He's like, I do not understand why you won't install them, why you will not embrace grace and receive peace, right? Well, what happens is he says, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to prevent the gospel of Christ. But even if we, or an angel from heaven, should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. As we have already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let him be eternally condemned. And I, am I now trying to win the approval of men or God, or am I trying to please men? If I were trying, still trying to please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. So there's this confusion that's come in. Now, if you remember the past story, there are these Jewish people who came down from Antioch, and they convinced the crowd who thought they had seen Greek gods to now stone their Greek gods. So there are people who were easily swayed back and forth. Well, 
I have to honestly confess that when I thought about putting in the white dishwasher in my kitchen with black and silver or pewter appliances, that was appalling and there was some confusion about my free dishwasher, right, for a moment. But it, it's very easy, right, for us to be confused about what the true gospel is. Because when Jesus dies for our sins and rescues us from the present evil age, that says the story is actually not about you. So it, it attacks the very first thing that we struggle with because you and I want to make our story about us and we like being the victim to everything, right? That's how we like to tell our stories, that we tend to be the victim. That doesn't mean we haven't been victimized, but we tell our stories from that and Jesus says, no, 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 no. I'm the one who actually died for you to save you. It's not about you. It also pushes at the confusion where most of us, no matter how hard we try, I guarantee you, a few of you will walk home or go, I don't think any of you are walking home. Um, we'll drive home. Mark and Lane could walk home if they wanted to, but the rest of us need to drive home. Um, you're not, you're going you're gonna to have some self-doubt. Somebody's going to have said something that you misunderstood or they're going to say it on purpose or they're going to frown at you because they have indigestion. You're going to think that they're upset at you, right? Because you want them to tell you you're okay. We go around all the time saying, am I okay? And Paul's like, no, no, no. The only person who can tell you you're okay is the one who's going to rescue you from the present evil age. It's Jesus. And the way he says you're okay is that he died for you. He said, I love you. How do we know that what love is? Is that Christ laid his life down for us. Well, that kind of disrupts the voice that we hear. But not only that, the third one, when we wrestle with God, one of the biggest questions that we often ask and the thing that people are always saying is that God just doesn't know what he's doing. He has no real intention. He's kind of random. It seems that like I can do a bunch of bad things and he blesses me. I can do a bunch of good things and he blesses me. I could care less about him and he does cares less about me. And yet in the text, it's very interesting that it says... Paul says about the gospel in verse, um, let me just, uh, so verse four, it says, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of God, our God and Father. So it's not just that Jesus came to die for us. It was the Father's will. There was an intention about it. It was the plan to insert himself in our lives to have relationship with us. So when you and I think about pursuing truth, when you and I begin to think about what it means to have peace, it only works if we're willing to say, okay, it's not about me. I can't go around having other people define me. And God's an intentional God involved in my life. Now, how do we kind of approach that? How do we work with that? What do we do? How do you and I kind of step into these things? So the only way I know how to step into these things is to repent and to actually acknowledge that confusion has entered our life, right? Because all of us struggle to believe the gospel, right? And the way that you know that you're struggling to believe the gospel is that the places in your life where you are hopeless, where you feel like there is no hope, you're struggling to believe the gospel and there's confusion. Right? 
So my question to you today is where are the places, big or small, where there's a lack of hope and a sense of confusion in your life? It might take you a little time to think about that. But as you talk with people and as you think about things, ask yourself, where are the places where I lack hope and feel confused? Okay? Because I guarantee you, in those places, the gospel you are believing is that it's about you, that you hope that somebody will tell you you're okay, and that you're not sure if God really is that intentional about this area of your life, that he actually cares. So, with all that in mind, give me some responses. What What are you thinking about when you hear this, when you think about the gospel? Ask me some questions, or not. I'm fine either way. But, Respond to what you've heard. Tell me what you think. Ask a question. Why is something, like when you preach this, it seems so simple, and yet it's so complex. Like, can you, that's like what I feel. I'm like, okay, yeah, I can believe that. Like, I can like when I didn't believe that that it matters, right? That God doesn't have a plan, or that when it feels like what did you say that he uh, like that he has no intention for my life that it, I could do this or I could do that, but yet I feel like there's a complexity in that. I guess that's where I sit with it. So, so what you're saying is the preacher gives you some very simple things. <laughs> And life is very complex. <laughs> and how do you navigate that? Uh, well, I think that if you try to navigate it as a big thing, it always feels very complex. But if you're willing to say, okay, just with, since I know your children, just with Lily, where's the confusion in my life with her? Where's the place where I lack hope? Like, just today, where was that, Right? And not try to think of it in the bigger context. That you're building kind of a foundation of grace and peace. Would be how I would. So, and then the answer is. The, what the answer is? What? Yeah, <laughs> is Jesus died, and so it's going to be okay. I think the answer is in the rest of Galatians. <laughs> <laughs> Stay tuned. Because yes, because Paul really, and, and I. Paul, I didn't want I don't want to reveal a lot because I feel like Paul teases this all out okay. to a bigger thing. Um, and he really does address how we understand ourselves and how we understand one another and how we understand God. Um, but I think I would start with repentance and just acknowledge. I would just state it out loud. Okay. That'd be the place I'd begin. Got two over here. Can you speak to the fickle nature of the Galatians in Lystra and how that plays out in our lives? Like the back and forth sort of thing. Yeah, and and I don't know how long that scene played out, but it seems really fast (laughs) that they move from one to the other. Um, I think in the book of Galatians, I mean, the, the, the issue is going to be that they're, 
the people on the outside are trying to get the church to follow a lot of rules. Um, and they're beginning to easily be drawn into this idea of following the rules. Um, I think actually grace is a very terrifying thing to embrace. Even just in that small picture of the dishwasher and the washing machine. Like to be, have to say to my dad, well, I can pay for it. And he's like, no, no, no. I want to give this to you. Like to receive a gift that you can't do anything about. You want to do something about it. And all he really asks for is us to respond, to take hold of it, to celebrate the fact that the God of the universe wants to be involved with us. So I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that really speaks to the fickleness of Galatians, but... I mean, it speaks to the voices that we... It speaks to the voices that we listen to. So, Ron, you had a question? There's a mic right behind you. There you go. Your last line in the sermon was... Can you repeat that? Uh, <laughs> do, you re- do you remember it? Oh, where, where are the places that confusion is found in your life and where are the places where you um, are without hope? Yes. Um, there's lots of places that my sin is in the forefront and as hard as I try, I can't control it. And that's where you have to go to God and say, well, I'm saved. I have all these sins. And that just shows that you're great and I'm a wimp. wimp. <laughs> hmm. Do you agree with that? or? Well, I would say that I would celebrate that God's strength is displayed in my weakness. And that right. I... In the places where I'm broken, often that one gives other people a place to minister to me and to speak Jesus right. to me. And but yes, I agree with you. I, I mean, we're never going to become sinless, or um, yeah. our sins are still going to be greater than our perfection. Right. And the cool thing is that the only like grace leads to peace, and the only and peace is hope, right? Like the resurrection is hope. Like we we're here because we think that there's a hope of being with Christ forever, being in eternal relationship with God, like to conquering death. I have hope that Christ. I hope that Christ died on the sin on <laughs> on the cross <laughs> on the cross. For my sins yeah. and for me. Yeah. One more, and then we probably should close. Anybody have any other statements, thoughts, questions? All right. Oh, and Reuben goes up to the last moment. What happened to the church in Galatia? What happened like, to the church? You know, there? after all the books of the Bible were written and then history played out and the persecution happened and then 400 years later it stopped. What happened to the church in southern Turkey? That's a good question. But I will tell you that we have missionaries from the village in southern Turkey <laughs> trying to restore the church of Galatia. <laughs> so we're still struggling. So we're still struggling. Right, I was just asking. <laughs> I just wanted to know. Um, it was no more. It didn't, uh, didn't make it. Yes. All right. Thanks. Sorry. All right. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for this community, and thank you for the opportunity 
to just wrestle with your gospel. And I ask as we eat together and as we sing together that you would give us courage to look at the places where there is confusion and a lack of hope in our life and, and to wrestle with the truth of your sacrifice for us. Um, and Lord, I, I also ask that as we um, speak to one another, give us courage to speak truth and to look underneath what people are saying and, and encourage one another. And I ask that in your name. Amen.